Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Well, hey, 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 Emily, how are you today? Hey, 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 Michelle. Oh my gosh, I'm doing really well. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to be here in the studio. I'm excited about our conversation. I'm glad we have some wine because, wow, we need it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, an interesting couple of weeks. It really has. Yeah, we were in the studio last, Mm -hmm. and uh, I know that you had some. Yeah, Some tragedy in the family. And, that's true. Um, yeah, that always makes you re, uh, reconnect and uh, refocus, and you yeah, want to hug everybody much much tighter, but you can't because of COVID. I know it's really. St- I feel like you know it's just we're in this pressure cooker of a time, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and it definitely is giving a, a much deeper perspective on things. And you know, in the last week, I, I've I personally know three people who have passed away. And of course, one of which was a family member yeah. that was very unexpected. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely uh, trying, and um, but I'm thankful to have great friends and good wine and conversation to help help yeah console and. I- I think you know. like grieving in this Corona times is so much different than we used to. I mean, mm-hmm. you, like when you grieve before, people could hold you, they could comfort you. You know, you'd have a way to express yourself, you and now kneel together. You, yeah, know. and now you're sort of like you grieve alone, right? And um, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry for for your loss, but well, um, I'm glad you're feeling better today. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm kind of out of my cocoon. Speaking of mourning alone, you know, I'm yeah. out of my cocoon, and I'm I'm here in the studio, and I'm I'm ready. You know, yeah. like I'm starving for conversation. And um, well, we definitely yeah. have an exciting conversation. Some exciting guests joining us today. Let's mm-hmm. go ahead and introduce them to the podcast. Bring them on, Absolutely. and then we'll dive into the wines we're drinking because yeah. we do have. They're remote. They're not actually in the studio with us. Um, so they are in the comfort of their own homes. They are raiding their own liquor cabinets. And I don't know where <laughs> it's going to go from here. <laughs> they are- plenty of wine for all of us today. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So welcome, Don and Karen. I'm so excited to, to have these ladies on our show. Um, when we started Clitterly Speaking, the podcast, it's no joke. These two ladies were at the top of our list of we want to have a conversation. Uh, and Michelle, right. why don't you? So um, Don Chapman and Karen Nickel founded Just Moms STL. And if any of our listeners out there have watched the movie, the documentary on HBO called Atomic Homefront, you would recognize um, our guests. If you haven't watched the documentary, oh, you need to. You can either pause this podcast right now and go watch the documentary for an hour and a half and then come back and listen to the podcast or listen watch it right when we're done. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I wanted, um, I was so glad they responded to my email to have them on the show because we are facing some, you know, uh, environmental crises here in the St. Louis region. And if it weren't for the efforts of Just Moms SDL and Don Chapman and Karen Nickel leading this, we wouldn't be as far ahead in the 
game journey as we are, and we're not as far as we need to be. But anyway, let's, uh, right. Don, Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to throw a note out there, yeah. too. You're right. What they've exposed about what's happening, you know, around St. Louis is astounding. But this is not just a St. Louis issue because the problem that has been uncovered is a problem that is all around the United States and probably globally as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if you'll give our um, our listeners uh, just a as brief as you can little uh, synopsis of what is what it is the environmental crisis that we are facing in St. Louis and we have been facing it for a long time and it was really in the news uh, about 4 years ago um, um 2014 2015 and uh coronavirus and mm-hmm. um other antics in the White House have kind of replaced the uh, the focus from our media on what's happening in St. Louis because the problem hasn't gone away. No. So, uh, Don, would you like to uh, t- take this, uh, give a little synopsis? So where we live up here, which is, we call it North County, um, we live in Maryland Heights, right on the border of Bridgeton. Um, there is a radioactive burning Superfund site. There is, it's an old landfill in a very old, deep quarry sitting right in the floodplain of the Missouri River, right in the middle of our community. So it's not in a rural area. It surrounds everything. It's about two miles from a high school. It's about a half a mile from a subdivision where people live. It's, you've got the river less than half a mile away. And it was an old unregulated landfill. So people were allowed to dump whatever in it from the 1940s, 50s and 60s on, you know, back then it wasn't illegal to dump paint thinner or anything like that. So there's a lot of industrial waste, um, dioxin from Russell Bliss, a lot of really bad stuff in this landfill. And then in the seventies, 1973, um, radioactive waste from the Manhattan project which mm. started actually in downtown St. Louis at Mallinckrodt right. Chemical Works, ended up illegally dumped in this landfill. And the way that it was dumped, it was brought under cover of darkness, about 2,500 dump truck loads, and it was brought from North County. So brought from next to the airport, from next to Coldwater Creek, um, and it was about a three month period that they were illegally dumping this and they lied. They told the landfill owner that it was clean dirt. And so the Mm. landfill owner, not knowing what it was used it every day to cover garbage or wherever they needed it on the site. And this went on for three years. They didn't realize what it was. They had workers that were moving it around daily and whatnot until a post-dispatch article came out identifying it as the location that this waste was dumped. And was that in the 70s that the post-dispatch article it was? It was, okay. 1976. And she, uh, a, a reporter by the name of Margie Freibogel, a woman, it would be a woman mm-hmm. that digs deep, right? And that gets right. into there. She learned that this really dangerous radioactive waste was stored at the airport. And so she thought, well, where did it go? And it was supposed that it ended up in Canyon City, Colorado. Well, when she went up there and checked for receipts, they never received it. 
And so immediately she was like, oh no, where else could it have gone? And so she investigated and kind of blew the lid off of it. And, you know, this waste has been sitting on the surface of this landfill now since 1973 in the middle of our community. And our community has been allowed to kind of grow up around this waste, if you will. Um, There were lots of little lakes and ponds next to the site that people would fish in. I mean, there was a lot of um, opportunity for this waste to harm the public. It was not always fenced off. Um, Hattonville graduates tell a lot of stories about going up there and trying to avoid the Bridgeton police and drinking, you know, (laughs) doing what (laughs) high schoolers do. But all the while, they were sitting and standing on top of some of the world's most dangerous material. I mean, created to be put in the bombs that we dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, you know, I think the historical component of this, I I don't know that it would be better if it were a different type of pollution. Certainly this is kind of the worst of the worst, but the historical component and the fact that the government when they were made aware in 1973 that it was at this landfill, did nothing and just chose to leave it there. Meanwhile, this community grows up around it. I mean, we have documents going all the way back where their internal documents where officials are talking to each other about how dangerous this is and how they really need to clean up this waste. This could harm the community. It could get into the drinking water. I mean, it's it's no secret that they were afraid of what it would do to the community. And yet, for whatever reason, nobody made a move to do anything. They literally buried it. Literally. And I think yeah. it, it did become a super fun site. But again, people like Karen and myself, although we grew up in different areas, Karen will share where she grew up. She grew up in an area where the radioactive waste came from in North County. But people were allowed to move next to this waste and nobody was told about it. That, to me, is still... You know, if the government knows there's something dangerous, you would think that everyone that moves in within, you know, two mile radius or whatnot is automatically told about it. But that's not the case. You know, Mm -hmm. if I have lead paint in my house and I go to sell it, I have to disclose disclose it. But the government doesn't have to disclose their dangerous material to the citizens. It's, It's really a it's it's pretty a lot of hypocrisy behind it, if you will. Um, Karen, what had, what was your initial exposure awareness of the, uh, industrial pollution hazard, uh, nuclear waste site that the Bridgeton landfill is? Uh, so I grew up near Coldwater Creek in a subdivision that was, um, contaminated by continuous flooding into the neighborhood. Um, there was a park that, ran along the banks of the creek. You've probably seen it in Atomic Homefront. It's called St. Mm-hmm. Sin Park, where, yeah, they found, saw that, yeah. where they found radioactive materials in the fall of 2015, 16, um, and then ultimately have cleaned that area. Um, that was my childhood park. park. Uh, spent a lot of time there. Um, and you know, my parents had moved closer out to the you know county area from closer to the city of St. Louis uh, back in 1973, and mostly because the area they chose was up and coming. It was a great school district. Uh, there was a lot of kids on my street. 
had parks at both ends of my street. I mean, it really was the all-American dream. You know, you, you, you do things to better yourselves when you have the opportunity, and my parents did. Um, and it wasn't until 2012 when I found out that my childhood was pretty much tainted from being exposed to this radioactive materials. Um, in the fall of 2018, there was a study that came out that by the CDC and the ATSDR that came out that said that there were exposure pathways in some of the North County areas um, and went into detail. And some of that detail was you could have been exposed by riding your bike on um, streets that had been flooded with thorium, that left thorium dust. Because of, mm-hmm. uh, because of the natural flooding that occurs and, you know, in St. Louis, we have the, the rivers and when we have lots of rain and on, on, gosh, I've been living in St. Louis for 25 years now and I can probably recall handily at least eight flooding events around the eight, around the region. Right. I wasn't here in 93, but, um, I came in 95, right. but, um, so uh, one of the things about watching Atomic Homefront and um, and I was aware of what you guys were doing um, probably because of the connection with Harvey from the cancer support community and Harvey um, Feldman, right? Is Feldman something like that? Feldman. 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 Uh, he is also in the documentary, and he was a. Um, he would come and uh, and uh, give talks at the cancer support community when I was going through my colon cancer uh, mm-hmm. treatment because he was a survivor of stage four colon cancer. And that's something that's so, you know, I was stage three and he was stage four and that's so rare, you mm-hmm. know, it's for for survivors. Um, so it was always nice and inspiring. And, and he told me um, the an egg a day because the, the oh, chemo yes. brain, he's the guy that said you need to eat an egg a day that helps with the blood, Memory. Uh, brain pathways yeah. and the chemo. And pa- and I, I have, I mean, I was like, okay, I started eating an egg a day. So um, definitely uh, he's, he's a remarkable person, but he was uh, talking about Coldwater Creek. He was talking about um, the the things that were going on up there. And then I, I had somebody through my job also lives in Florissant, and she was uh, very active about the Coldwater Creek. Um, but I remember when it came out in the news that not only do we have, I mean, without the added uh, crisis of the fire in the landfill we we had to create we had a we have a horrible situation with the industrial race with the nuclear waste right there but now add to that there's a fire in the landfill yeah. that is slowly moving its way towards the nuclear waste and if you have not watched the Chernobyl documentary on HBO, you can pause this podcast and go watch that documentary <laughs> right. and then come back um, or you can listen, watch that as well afterwards. I mean, we have, the te- we have the possibility of having our own Chernobyl situation in St. Louis. Am I, I'm not, ma- am I making this too, like too no. fear mongering? No, we're not, we're not too alarmist here. We, we do have a, a real situation and ladies, I would love it because you have been, You've been fighting this battle for many, many years now. Can do you, can you talk a little bit about this fire? How did it start? And know. yeah, and and um, to your knowledge, like what is happening to assuage this fire? And yes, explain what can unfold. So the saddest thing about this fire that we've learned 
and I'll get into how it started, is that this is not the first fire at the site. This is actually the third fire that we know of at the site. Some have happened much closer to where the radioactive material is. So I think the biggest, oh, I get so angry. I'm just like gritting my teeth right now because this site has a history of catching on fire. And it's well documented within the agencies, within the federal and the state regulators. And so there should have been eyes on this site. And really this waste should have been cleaned up just because of that. We dodged a bullet mm -hmm. twice. This third fire is massive. It is about seven football fields wide. It's about 350 feet deep. It is just massive. Would you just repeat what you just said? Because there are some delays going on. Sam will edit it out, but let's talk about um, yeah. this fire. There, it, we were just having some connection issues. Yeah, it kind of cut out. So, so, yeah. So this fire, to give you a scope of the size, is about seven football fields wide. And it's about 350 oh feet deep. It is Oh, my massive, God. And it is a lot like a coal mine fire in that it is happening under the ground and it's more like a smolder. So think of the charcoal out in the grill. And how it started is there were um, wells on this site because the site was producing methane. And the methane started oh, to leave. God. I know. The methane started to leave the site and go off onto other properties. And the landfill owner freaked out. Obviously, they didn't want an explosion in other properties, and they turned the wells up, the suction up so high, well above industry standards, that not only did it pull the methane back on site, but it also pulled oxygen in. Mm. And with the waste mm. under the ground, it was already heating up. It was decomposing. It does heat up. And that combination ignited and started this fire. And what made it so bad is it went quite a a while before it was reported. So there was an opportunity. How long? So the fire almost department. Years. Oh my yeah, God. Almost I'm two years. Sorry. Almost two, two years. Two years? Between when the state agency realized there was a fire and between when the fire department that's almost directly next door and the entire community and the public became aware. So there was a two year period of time where the state was trying to get the landfill owner to, um, do the right thing. There was a lot of dangerous gases that were building up and escaping right into our community. And they had racked up fines and violations because they just would not do what they were being asked to do by the regulator. So it wasn't until the attorney general got involved and sued them that uh -huh. the extent became known. And by that time, the fire was so widespread, there was no way to safely put this fire out. And so what they have tried to do for the past seven to eight years is they've tried to hold it back. There's a real narrow area. We call it the neck. It looks like a peanut kind of where there's a narrow middle area and it goes out and they've put some wells in there. They're trying to hold that fire back because just on the other side is where all the radioactive waste is. And oh the extent God of that radioactive waste, how close it is to the fire is unknown. EPA just a couple weeks ago told us there will not be any additional rad waste testing because to poke a hole in the area right in front of where this fire is, you risk either pulling this fire forward or starting another fire through oxygen. That is 
So there is, is, yeah, it's a conundrum. Oh my God. It's almost a zero sum equation, if you will. It, yeah. It's, and there has never been a, there have been landfills that have caught on fire, but there's never been a chemical Superfund site, much less a radioactive one, one in a quarry, one in the floodplain. I mean, everything about this site and what's happening is so unique. There literally is no place like it in the world. And that made it so much and makes it more difficult for us because there's no book we can turn to. You know, you can't mm-hmm. say, well, what did they do up in this area when this happened? How did they, Yeah. you know, the regulators, and I, they're writing it now. I, and, and and are they are they uh, and I know I'm, we're speculating here because we can't really say what somebody else is thinking. But is it is it one of these things like, well, you know, it hasn't reached the waste in ten years. It may not reach the waste, you know. So we we shouldn't, you know, there's no no reason for alarm. We shouldn't be spending money to get people out of the two to five mile range of devastation should it ever explode or when it explodes. I mean, I, I, I don't understand that type of, because the money's there, the money's there to it move is. everybody. The money's there. And, and I so don't. So then what's preventing it? Exactly. So the landfill owner, Republic Services, this isn't their only landfill fire. They have other landfill fires across the nation One of the things that Dawn and I did early on when we learned about our situation was did some research to find out who may be in the same situation that we're in. Um, Republic has had a fire burning in countywide Ohio for 20 years. No way. One of the reasons that Republic will not do a relocation is because they have other landfill fires and they don't want to set a precedent to remove people that live within locations of some of their other landfill fires. So it's just okay to set a precedent of dead bodies laying everywhere on the ground and children, you know, like with becoming orphans because mom and dad were driving on the highway that day that the landfill blew up and they just like never to be found again. That's an okay precedent for them to set. Well, don't forget too that Bill Gates is the majority shareholder of Republic Services and owns so, this landfill. So. so that's what's astounding to me. Here's somebody who has technology at their resource, money at their resource, who pledges to do good all around the world. Why why is there not um, more being done to, you know, let's implement some technology to solve this problem. Do you remember the scene in the video where we um, were out, we were in Washington, D.C., and we were outside of his office. We went in and delivered petitions. So- mm-hmm. Two weeks after those petitions were delivered, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation sold all of their shares in Republic Services, but Bill Gates, his side company, his side investment firm, Cascade Investments, came in and bought them. So at that point, we knew he was aware. Does that make sense? Like, that is when we were like, okay, he knows what's going on. And he did what he could to remove it out of his physical name. You know, Cascade, obviously, you just yeah, look that up on the, system. you know, yeah. you don't know. That He's that's cascading the problem. Right. And that so, was a real, so, oh, my God. And I think that actually from a congressional standpoint, because at that point, we had different, you know, we had the congressional offices, the Democrats and the Republicans agreeing that this was an issue. I think they all sat back and went 
oh man, this is a big problem. This is, you know, it kind of validated the severity of the issue in their mind. Because he sold from the, the foundation, but then bought it on, per, on a personal level? Right. For them, they're like, okay, he's stepping back from his name being associated oh, with the physical exposure. This is a really big issue. And I think as crappy as that was, that actually helped us because that's the point where the Democrats and the Republicans came face to face and were like, this is a, this is a problem. This is... You know, this is every bit as big as we feared it was. And I think from that point, we had them fully engaged behind the scenes with EPA. And that, I I think that was a huge battle won, but it took, it took so, that, that was such a devastating trip. I think Karen and I sobbed the entire way home because we could not believe that not only would EPA Gina McCarthy not meet with us, but we couldn't believe that we were being gaslit by the Gates Foundation that they wouldn't return emails or phone calls. And here we showed up and here they did this. And I thought we kind of had hoped that the moment he became aware of the issue, he would jump in. And it was kind of a feeling of being abandoned. You know, it was just like, man, I just remember that flight home being just so devastated and just sobbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was a, a very poignant and, and sad part of the documentary mm-hmm. for sure. I I could feel I could feel the letdown. You know, and and you think about people out there every day fighting for something and like how much how much you give of yourself at to the expense of your families and you know your career. Like like this is not a paid gig for you guys, is it? No, we actually no, we you're had not to making have, any money off this. No, like Lois putting, had to physically drive us to the airport after that scene. We were so we left at, we left everything physically and emotionally at EPA and at the Gates Foundation. We gave so much that we just were so distraught. We were both crying. I mean, we cried the whole way to the airport, through the airport. The poor steward, the four remember the stewardess saw our shirts yeah. and commented that she had known somebody. That grew, who grew up in North County and was sick. I mean, the poor mm. stupidness was like, but yeah, I mean, there's such an emotional component to this and it's heavy and it took a lot to get there. And it, I, I think it took weeks to recover from that just emotionally. Every let's, let's talk <laughs> a little bit about the, the fact that there are all of these people, the numbers behind the people who are getting sick and, um, and also, I would love for you to pick up the story about Lois getting involved and who she is, because I'm not sure everybody not who's listening is going to know the 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 importance of her coming to the table. You know, I think Karen's better to answer the sick thing because she grew up with a lot of these people. And frankly, I'm liable to just start bawling because it's been an emotional week for us. You know, our people, it's not just that they're sick. They have, they have been harmed. You know, people like yourself that are cancer survivors, those that have survived are at such a high risk for this COVID. And it, it, it's, so, it's so devastating to watch them struggle every day in their life, but to watch them struggle through this pandemic because their government poisoned them yeah. is another level of, take it away. Anger. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, I've had a lot of classmates pass away, um, a lot that are sick with chronic illnesses such as myself. Um, I had a granddaughter that was born two and a half years ago that had a mass on her right ovary 
that had to be removed when she was three weeks old. Um, my kids, uh, my oldest son is mildly autistic. My youngest son is extremely ADHD. My youngest daughter has female issues. Um, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And it's the constant worry and fear of, you know, I always say, I have four kids of my own, you know, what are the odds? Which one's mm -hmm. going to get this or that? Or a simple headache is automatically, you know, okay, well, we should really, you know, get this checked out right away. Or, I mean, we just don't have the luxury to sit back and say, oh, it's nothing or, you know. Um, so that's disheartening in itself as far as, so every day I think that, you know, we get, phone calls or messages from people that reach out to us that, you know, they may have a lump or um, something else going on. And, you know, they're questioning, do you think it's caused from radioactive waste exposure or whatnot? And obviously Dawn and I aren't doctors, but um, what happens is we end up following those people through their little, their lumps or their pains that turn into more critical um, cancers and Next thing you know, we're getting messages from a daughter or a son saying my mom passed away or um, these are very aggressive cancers, very aggressive illnesses. Um, and yeah. so uh, one of the things that you guys said in the um, in the documentary, because I've at one of the meetings you had and I don't know if it was an EPA guy talking or a Missouri DNR. I don't remember which one, but it, but their statement was, well, there's not um, there's not an. Uh, an unacceptable level for human exposure. Mm -hmm. And then you asked, but what about that long-term mm -hmm. effect yes. of that, not that, of that, una, you know, not bad. There's no studies. Uh, human exposure. Yeah. Right. Because like what they, I think in my mind, I'm watching the documentary and I'm thinking to myself, do they, are, are they expecting when they take those readings that it's going to be so high that somebody's going to implode or melt their skin off right there. But since it's not melting off, it's, it's okay. obviously going to be going to be fine, but they don't yeah. think about like that. It, like, what do they say about the frog in the in the boiling pot? Right, you every now and then you just slowly turn up the temperature, and eventually the frog's going to die. But he's not going to realize it because it's just every there's just a little bit a little bit longer that you're in that boiling water, and then so as opposed to dropping the frog straight into the boiling water. It, it kind of right. makes me think of how you know there was this whole. Um, when COVID came out, it was hard to get tests. It's still hard to get yeah. right tests. And we know that that's, that's because, you know, we don't want the numbers to look so bad, right? And it kind of makes me feel the same thing's happening here, it where is. it's like, we're not just going to do a long-term study because we don't want to acknowledge that this is so bad. We are not the, the only community that has this waste out in it, although we've probably had it out the longest because it started here. And that's we're going back to that precedent, just like with Republic. The government owns this waste. They're responsible mm -hmm. for its cleanup, and they're, they are responsible for the health effects that they have allowed through their lack of attention to it to happen and accumulate. And they're afraid that if they do that here then they have to do it at 150 other locations. And they're right. Oh my God. Of course we're going to push for that. But that's, yeah. 
But that would cut into somebody's um, profit. That would cut into military how much spending. we have to spend on the military or how much we have to spend on a wall or something like that. It would. And which, which was, it's actually infuriating because we are all taxpayers and contributors to that big old budget in Washington, D.C. Yep. We are. Right? Absolutely. So, so why shouldn't that money be allocated to take care of the fucking taxpayers that are putting it in there? Well, it should be because you know what? You still have people dying from World War II. These people are yes. dying from friendly fire. This is friendly fire. And, you know, when the, our soldiers come back, whether it's friendly or whatnot, they get their burial for free. They get their military honors. Where they the, get their medical care for the free. Amer- where's the military honor for all of these people in North County and at these other places, you know, that are that are sick and dying? Where is that? And, and we well, always, I, always say that, you know, yeah, we won the war, but we're still fighting the battle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think about the, the 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 region, the St. Louis region, and you know when you go down the rabbit hole of watching your doc, the atomic home front, and then you can go down Times Beach, and then you can right. go down the Manhattan Project, then you can go down you know um, Weldon Spring, and and I just think about how proud the residents of our region were to help that war effort and how every day they went and they worked and they, they, you know, handled uranium, they put munitions Mm -hmm. together and they did that for their country. And then when that became an, an, a, a physical devastating effect to them that our country abandoned them. You know, and, the and middle, they're still so proud. Yeah. They're still so proud. It's like they don't. Like they the, can't the be angry at yeah. the fact that they've been left behind. Behind me in my hutch sits my grandfather's Purple Heart from World War II. When I w- when we were dealing with this and we were really looking at what happened, we were looking at the site named Laddie Avenue where Westlake Waste was moved from North County and illegally dumped at the landfill. I had a map laying in front of me. It was Thanksgiving. 2013. And I'm looking at a map of Laddie Avenue. My mom's, you know, mixing the dressing and she looks over and she goes, is that Laddie Avenue? I said, yeah. And she's like, you know, your grandfather worked right across the street. And I said, what? He said, yeah, he worked for Wagner. And I said, Wagner? And we had known that there were a lot of people that worked there that were harmed. And she said, yeah, he died of a very aggressive bladder cancer, as did many of the people that he worked with. And that Whoa. building actually was remediated. There was radioactive waste found in the rafters. And it made me oh so gosh. mad because I thought, this man has a purple heart. He effing survived World War II, was a day away from Normandy, was shot, made it home alive to his family, and the goddamn war still killed him? Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the the irony of it was just mm-hmm. it was too much. And I think we see that all the time. And it's there's a patriotic element to it that yeah, we sacrificed a lot as this region in St. Louis to for the war effort. So the least they could do is come clean it up. You know, I mean, a little apology would be nice, but just come clean it up, you know? Right. And right. I mean it, it- it will cost them less to clean it up and move everybody than it will to suffer the consequences of of a of a Chernobyl. They're in, finding in radioactive America. waste in people's backyards along Coldwater Creek. Yeah. And the the sad yeah. thing is that nobody people are asking for those levels. They're not being given them. I mean, it's just a really big 
mess. And these people are afraid to go to the press because this is their property, right? Who's going to want to buy it? You know, it's a, they're really in a pinch here. And I mean, the horror that, that Karen's describing of these messages, I mean, even my son's sick now. And as much as I knew what this could do and watching Karen and her family, I missed it. I missed it in my own kid. I mean, Karen didn't. Karen all along was kind of like, mm, is he okay? He's losing weight. And I was like, oh, he's fine. He's mm. drinking a lot of water. He's being healthy. And, you know, I missed it. And then when he was diagnosed, I mean, it was diabetes, you know, type one. And I mean, I was horrified, but to be honest with you, I was relieved. You were relieved? Like mm -hmm. I mean, the moment we got to, they just told us to go there because it was a bad blood test. And the moment I walked in and watched them get the glucose meter out, I looked at her and I'm like, type one diabetes. And she went, mm -hmm. and I just went, <sighs> you know, I just yeah. took a, just because I'm thinking leukemia, I'm thinking colon yeah. cancer, I'm thinking, right. I'm thinking what we see. And, yeah. you know, it's, and it's interesting because his doctor watched the documentary and she took me outside yeah. and mm -hmm. she's like, so I've seen the documentary. And I said, so I'm going to tell you, my kid's just as woke as I am. He's going to ask. And she's like, what do you want me to say? And I said the truth. And he did. He said, mm -hmm. could the landfill have given me this? And she's like, yeah, it could have. I mean, you know, there's nothing else to say, but yeah. at least- yeah. You have a medical community that's waking up to it. That is one good thing we're seeing. What's interesting in our region is that <laughs> uh, there's a smell uh, that uh, you can be driving along 270 and, and you're like, Mike, what is 270 heading west mm -hmm. or east? It doesn't matter. But you're, you know, you're out there in an area um, called Earth City, which is a, a mm, huge oh, office yeah. park. I mean, it is like some prime commercial yeah. real estate there. And what what's the exposure to all those workers? Right. Oh, yeah. Who are working there every single day and have no idea that that smell that they're smelling is toxic waste. the toxic waste. A lot of them do. It's, you know, they message us behind the scenes. They have to be careful not to upset their employers. And that's a fine line that Karen and I mm. walk because mm. the first question they're asking, which is what anyone would ask is, are we safe? And it's yeah. like, you can't even answer that. I, I, I mean, can't. No, even, I'm not qualified. No, I, I just send them everything. I just send them all the documents and the emergency order from St. Louis County. And I'm like, here is what you need to make your own decision. And if you're hungry for more, here's where you can go for more. And, you know, and I've said yeah. a lot about people moving into our area yeah. at least once or twice a week. And it's beautiful up there, which is so, mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it's this gorgeous landscape that has such, I don't, um, I don't know. It's, it's so hard. You've got Creed Core Park with all the paths you can mm -hmm. walk and all the greenways. My son would play, uh, he was on a select soccer team and uh, they practiced over there near Crevecourt Lake, uh, Crevecourt Park. And I would be out there and I, I would smell the smell. And then I'm thinking about all, so, you know, there's little partic particulates or whatever mm -hmm. they're called are in the air. Yeah. And these kids, you know, you've got, you've got yeah. thousands of kids playing soccer close by. You've got practices, you've got parents that are, you know, at, at the little beer garden or whatever, yeah. and everybody's being exposed because they don't know. Mm -hmm. And it, I think if we, and, and I know that this, it, this seems like a very, um, uh, local St. Louis centric episode, 
But if you are not in St. Louis and you're in your town and you found or you hear, sorry, you can't hear smells, can you? Oh, the wine well, is getting to me. Um, you know, you smell things that don't seem right. I mean, ask There's questions. 150 other sites, right? Yeah there's, yeah, there's more than that. I mean, we just, and you know, yeah. it's the, the, the really, the saddest thing. And, and I guess the good thing about Atomic Homefront, if you watch the movie, is um, you, while it's about, St. Louis, our region, you could pick that film up and set that on any other site with any other type of contamination and it mirrors. It's the same way the mm-hmm. agencies respond. It, there are thousands of just moms out there that are battling and, you know, it, it's, it, it's the same fight, different poison. And it's the women. I mean, I thought it was so telling when uh, the one scene when Jimmy Carter was uh, had 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 mm-hmm. uh, so Lois Gibbs, who you work with, right? She was the catalyst behind the Love Canal and getting all of those families being able. I mean, I'm I'm definitely condensing her her fight, but you know they bought out that fa- that community and and like the the pan of that shot and started is the like, super fund as a result yeah, of that, yeah. right? It's like yeah. all of these. White men are standing behind Jimmy Carter, President Carter, all these white men, white men. And then there's the one woman <laughs> and then all of these other white men. And it's the one woman who got everything taken care of. Yeah. None of those other fuckers did it. No. Nope. Right? Yeah. She's fierce, uh, too. She, you guys yeah. remind me a lot of her. She's very... Um, oh, that's flattering. No, she is. She's real, like... Like what we're doing right now, having a conversation over wine. This is the night before we actually got to meet with Gina. Karen's laughing because this was intense. We didn't even realize what we were walking. We got the full Lois Gibbs interrogation. I mean, we sat in her living room because we could not even afford a hotel. I mean, we just. Yeah, (laughs) we had our PJs on. She had hers on and she had a glass of wine. And it was, there was a moment, I think, where we're like, holy shit, we're sitting across from Lois Gibbs in her living room. And she turned into an interrogator. She said, okay, we're going to do this. She's like, I'm going to pretend to be Gina McCarthy, EPA. And I mean, she almost had us in tears, but it was a three hour role play. And I mean, she's like, no, you have to be. I mean, she just was relentless and just went after us and kind of attacked us and got us prepared for what we were walking into the next day. Amazing. She's like, this is, this is not going to be anything you guys and you guys are walking in without experience. I'm going to give you in three hours, everything I have. And Mm -hmm. my God, when we, I I don't know what we would have done if we wouldn't have had that. Like, cause there was no preparing for walking into this big room with her and having her lawyer there. I mean, they had they brought out every intimidation technique that they had. They put us in against the just master's right? office. Like instead and of only Don and myself, Lois, no one was allowed to come in with us. And we asked. They wouldn't let anybody uh. else. It could just be Karen and me. And instead of having us in, because we've been there several times and we've been in like a conference room or like, you know, where we've sat and had meetings with DC EPA. They brought us into the postmaster's office which is like a medieval castle. It is like a three-story room with heavy drapes, a huge stone fireplace. Like it was dark and it was just, I mean, we knew when we walked in, we thought they're trying to scare the hell out of us. It's an ominous place. It was, and it was deliberate, you know. 
every, yeah. all of it, all of it, because they don't want to, they don't want to like le- let a dollar get out of their hands and take care of people. And they wanted to get us off but, script. They kept trying to pull yeah. us off script and pull us in different directs. And we just went right straight to our talk. This is dangerous. This is hurting our kids. You know, it's dangerous. It's your responsibility. I mean, we just kept going back to that. And that was just, that was sheer practice that we would have been so intense. It would have worked their intimidation. Had we not Mm -hmm. had that with Lois? Well, I, I want to know, you know, what keeps you guys doing this? Because like, mm-hmm. you know, why haven't you just either like walked away from your home? You know, people have done that. Like just deal with the fucking yeah. creditors. I'll walk away from my home and, what keeps and, you there, and move right? to Florida. Yeah. Cause I think your husband said in the, in the, um, uh, in the movie that he just wants to leave it all behind and move to Florida. Not that that would be like Dead. an ideal place he to be, but so sick. He, my husband is sick. And he was Mm. so sick in the middle of a horrible flare. And I mean, I have to say, like, our husbands are our support system. So there is that. I think we probably would not have been able to keep doing this without their support. Um, Yeah, I don't know any other husband where, you know, the wife looks at him and says, we're in trouble financially because I can't work because I'm fighting these fuckers. So I can get a full-time job Mm -hmm. and stop fighting or keep fighting. And he's like, we've got the retirement account. Let's drain it. Let's go for broke, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's, that, that's our husbands. That's, that's so what, how what, they are. What I'd like our listeners to understand here is that, yeah, Don and Karen are not making a dime. They are basically self-funding this, their advocacy group, Just Moms STL, to try to keep our entire region from burning up mm-hmm. and, uh, becoming absolutely devastated like a Chernobyl. And that's two people, and I know your organization's larger than just the two of you, but you guys are the spearheads. So I I need, I, I want to understand what keeps you going because- I can tell you. Okay. Um, I want to know every night when I go to bed that I can look my kids in the eyes and say, I did everything I could to fight for you. Because for me personally, my parents weren't aware of what was happening to their children. And sometimes I don't know if that's good or bad, um, but I do know. And I took a vow from day one that I will go to the ends of the earth to protect my kids. And it just so happens that um, I'm protecting other people's kids as well now, um, you know, because... It's the right thing to do, and um, I really wish that there were more Dawn and Karens that, I don't know, for whatever reason, we were chosen to stay the course on this. Um, it's not and fun. We work together. We, it and we, fits. You know, it, it, it's not what we wanted to be when we grew up. We both discussed that early on. We both knew we wanted to be moms. We wanted to have kids. Um, and I just, we have said many times, what's the other choice? I mean, you have all this information in your head now and I'm living proof that I, I was harmed from it. I don't want my kids harmed from it. Although 
they're already at a disadvantage because we know this is multi-generational. Whether my kids grew up here or mm-hmm. in Alaska, they're still going to have that possibility of becoming sick. Um, it, it's just... <laughs> Sorry. It's the landfill ghost. This is not, this definitely, I'm not, la- I'm not laughing at anything that, <laughs> the landfill that Karen ghost. is saying. <laughs> but oh, our, yeah, sign, our sign just fell off the wall for anybody who watches the video. So but I, I think that, you know, it, it is just something that, again, I don't know why, but we were chosen to do this and we'll, we'll see it through until we take our last breath. It definitely seems like it's one of those fights that you need to be there on the ground for. You know, I, I you can't do it. I, you from know, because right, because yeah. I, 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 I do, I do remember when we talked the first time. I was thinking, man, what keeps you, what keeps you there? But this is so clear to me that this is such a full time dedication that you need to be there for the community. And I mean, you, you're what you ladies have done to understand the science of it all and to to get into the politics of it all and to get into it just all the various layers you, you know that the form of advocacy that you're doing we've had we've had a lot phenomenal. of phenomenal i mean you can't mm-hmm. do this type of fight without an army um we built one we're still building it we have reached out to our allies and and made them solid and through landfill work, obviously, we have um, made a lot of contacts and whatnot. Um, and and every day, it's it's work every single day. I mean, yeah. we, we don't ever get a day off. We don't get to say, well, you know what? I am so tired of social media right now. I'm not going to get on there. We don't get that choice. Yeah. You know, we yeah. don't get to um, not take someone's call. If we have a 202 number that comes up, area code 202, we know it's DC. You know, I mean, it's like you're on it every single day, all day long, no matter what. And for the longest time, um, things changed daily. You know, it it just, you might have information that you want to share with another organization, but two hours later, that information may have changed and we have to reconvene and, um, and like Don said, you know, we work well together. I am more of a processor, analyzer, watch body language. I'm not as vocal. Um, Dawn is more of you could say running it. around with her hair on fire, getting ready to jump <laughs> off the bridge, and I'm trying to pull her back on. Um, <laughs> and it works when it needs to, you know. I yeah. I am. If I've got something to say, most of the time, I've thought about it long enough that you're going to listen. If mm-hmm. Dawn has something to say, it's because it needs to be said right now, and we need a reaction, and we, t- we need to know where it's going. Um, yeah. You know, Dawn gets the politics more. I get the community more. Mm, she gets, it's a good pairing. She gets, you know, she's more strategic with political things. I have more of the pulse of the individual people in the community. The politics Mm. in this is really, um, there's a lot of work that goes into that, as you can imagine, to try and remain neutral. And with us going into 2020, November, um, you know, depending on what happens in that presidential election, we get a brand new Mm. EPA from the top down. And that's, you know, could be a good thing. It could be and it could not because, 
You know, there are relationships that we have worked hard to build that we're going to have to start from scratch with someone else. And meanwhile, the fire burns. That's right. Yeah. That's right. The fire burns. Every day. So let's, um, yeah, yeah, let's take a real quick break and then we'll we'll come back and uh, we're going to talk about like the future. Yeah. What you see what what uh what you're working on and how we're how can we help to keep this um this topic uh relevant so let's take a quick break and we'll be right back all right well hello michelle hey emily how are you i'm good i just wanted to express a special thank you to our digital marketing team worry free marketing I know. I have been completely blown away with our results working with them. Absolutely. And, you know, in this time where everything is so complicated, people are consuming information in different ways, you know, they've been really excellent at helping us kind of redraft a strategy as to the best way to stay in contact with all of our listeners. It feels good. I don't feel quite like we're out here alone by ourselves trying to navigate it. So it's awfully great that we have that resource locally. And I know they work all across the U.S., but it's nice that we have them here in St. Louis to help us out. Absolutely. So cheers to Worry Free. Yeah. And let's get back with our show. And we're back. (laughs) And we're back. (laughs) So um, we were so excited to get involved in our conversation that we neglected the wine part. So we we need to talk a little bit about our wine because it is helping us you know, uh, cope. And we, you know, definitely want to talk a little bit about that. I think I've had like three glasses of it during um, this episode so I know, far. I know. It's, 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 it's delightful. Yeah. So we are drinking Dead Canyon Ranch. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> seemed, seemed like this might be a good fit for the conversation. Uh, it's from Horse Heaven Hills. It's a 2017 cab from Washington. And thankfully, it doesn't, you know, taste like something from an atomic wasteland. But it's not radioactive. No, thank God. it's it's not. It's not. It's I. I. You know, it's 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 delicious. I'm on the nose. I get cherry, tobacco, vanilla on the palate. It's dense berries. I get some baking spice of like cloves and cinnamon bark. It's savory as well. A little rosemary and white pepper. You know, I think this is. This has got some stuff. Yeah, this is what about delightful. You? I'm I'm really I'm really pleased with this one from the wine merchant. Not that I'm mm-hmm. not pleased ever, mm-hmm. but uh, I like the fact that it is I, the savoriness of this um, bottle is quite lovely. Uh, it tells a story, mm-hmm. you know, and I love I love wines that tell a story. To me, tell a story like not just something that you drink is like oh that's kind of like a alcoholic grape juice, you know, right. but like whoa, like I'm. I'm feeling like something's unfolded in my mouth and I need to tell yeah. people about it. So yeah, I would um I think we should call Jason and have see if we can get some more for tomorrow or something. Yeah, right. You know, like we can we definitely get together. Uh, yeah. and uh so but if this wine were a panty, what I'm seeing is uh, it's aroma's great. Mm. I'm seeing like black. Mm-hmm. Black uh you know, like 
this is a wrong word, but sturdy, but no, like, like <laughs> a black sturdy panty, black, sturdy panty, <laughs> not sturdy, but like something like, you know, like, um, not, not quite leather, but mm. you know, like just sort of strong. Okay. So nothing, does it have like some hooks on it for some well, attachments or anything? It could, like it could, <laughs> but, um, it's, it's more like, it's not something that like if, so you're, so you're wearing this pair of panty and you yeah. happen to be in the throes of passion and he goes to rip them off. He's not going to, break <laughs> he's them. not going to be able to rip them off. He's not going to break them. He can still get them off of you oh, or she okay. can get them off of you, but they're right. not going to be broken. So there's a little sturdiness, okay. but like a shiny, I don't know. Is there like in between like leather and it not leather? It sounds like it's almost like a latex panty. Is it like a... No, that's... that's no? Okay. No, it needs to be more earthy than that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what I'm seeing and like okay. the matching bustier bra that goes with oh, it. definitely spicy. Yeah. Like, but okay. like a strong female, like like a pair of panties that a strong female Yeah, that wear. you could go and fight the fight in. Like if you have to right? go stand in front of the EPA and she's you can wear these panties to you, you're like, no, you don't even know, fucker, what my panties look like right now. <laughs> Taking you, you can't on. tear these off. <laughs> and Lois Gibbs recommended these panties, and I know why. <laughs> kind of like if Wonder Woman had panties that were black and like we're slimming, right? Because we can't all wear Wonder no, Woman. No, they got to hold you in a bit, right? you know. <laughs> it's got to be yeah. structure. <laughs> That's the word. Not sturdy. Structure is the word I'm going for. Thank you. Makes your posture straight and everything look nice. Mm, Gives you some power. That's right. Power panties. When you high kick them in the face. I love that. Yes. Power panties. panties. I love that. That's what the Dead Canyon Ranch (laughs) Cabernet Sauvignon (laughs) makes me think about today. Power panties. Power panties. <laughs> da, 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 da. Seamless. <laughs> Seamless power <laughs> panties. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Oh, so with some structure. Yes. Yeah. 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 You it. don't need a, the like the unstructured kind that you know, sort of like. Yeah. Why, why is it in my knee now? <laughs> I just walked into Target and now my panties are on my knee. This is embarrassing. You know? As you're like like trying to pull them up and the kids are around, you're like, no, it's just some new panties, just- mommy. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Oh yeah. my god. My that is definitely never happens to me. Mine go up, not down. That's my problem. Oh my god. So that's why we work so well together. I know. <laughs> we have we have complimenting panty right, issues. Right, right. Not competing panty right. issues. That's why we work so well together. That's right. And that's why we have a podcast and they don't have us out actually out there advocating and trying to keep the trying world to make, safe, right? Yeah. Like Don and, and Karen. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so true. Ladies, what do you what do you do to you know, bring joy and to your life and cope through. I mean, you are in it all, every day. So, what do you do to feel good? I'm music. I'm that's oh. my thing. I play the violin. I play the piano. I help out at my daughter at my kids' school. They're in music theater, and that's mm. you know. Before I got into this, I had a little. My youngest was two, and I actually wanted to join the Philharmonic. That was my goal. Uh-huh. My goal we was, could have okay, played in the same yeah, ensemble. Yeah, I, I put it on hold. And once my kids get into kindergarten, you know, I'm going to pick it back up and see what I can do with it. And it just, it never happened. But I mean, it's still there. It's just not in that capacity, you know. Right. But uh, we'll have to play some duets sometime. Oh, my goodness. The Landfill Blues. Yeah, <laughs> we could really write some composition. 
<laughs> followed up with a little powerful <laughs> panties. That's right. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. I, oh, I totally want to see that when we can get together post COVID yeah, times. Right. You know, oh, and, yeah. um, you know, because of, uh, uh, that's, and we'll, we'll have to live stream it out. Right. Yeah. That totally. Totally. So Karen, what do you do to try to cope through this, to bring joy into your life? My grandkids, um, I've got four grandkids, so wow. they keep me busy. Um, just, and, and my other kids, I do, you know, I, I like to do a lot of my family stuff. Um, mm. I think Don and I try to keep each other in check with, uh, yeah. you know, you need some time, you know, downtime or whatever. Some of the things I used to tell her, her kids are, are obviously getting older now, but I've had many conversations with her in the past because I'm 57. So, um, oh, I would not have guessed it, that. Just, no, she's my just goodness. So, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I never wanted her to miss those, um, school events and those things. I mean, yes, we have missed a lot and we've put a lot on the back burner, but you can't miss them all. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have to keep each other in check. We have to hold each other accountable. Um, and just trying to, you know, one of the things is respect, you know, we respect each other. Um, I get up earlier than she does and I take care of things in the morning. She stays up later than I do. She takes care of things in the evening, you know, later in the evenings. Um, and just getting a good, um, a good balance and having a husband that supports everything I do and also keeps me in check because I am sick. So he makes sure that I need to be taking care of myself and having my downtime, um, just trying to do the family thing. Okay. So I, how do you, Karen, knowing that, you know, you're sick and is it, uh, is it an autoimmune? Is it something that you like you can recover from or is it, Pretty much going to be this chronic. I have two autoimmune diseases. I have lupus, and I also have psoriatic arthritis, and I also have fibromyalgia. Um, oh gosh, so you live in a lot of pain. Yeah. How do you not? How are you not just absolutely incredibly angry at the world, and the landfill, and the government? I, how are you? How do you not just live in a state of anger every day? Because I, I would. <laughs> we had a conversation this morning about this. This morning, early this morning, we woke up and uh, called Dawn and I'm like, or she called me, I don't even know. And at this, pretty much at the same time, we were both like, oh, I am just so mad right now. Um, it's compounded because of COVID a lot. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. under normal circumstances, pre-COVID, um, you have to channel your energy into something that's going to make a difference. So for me to just sit back and say all the time, I'm mad and angry and, you know, I pull those things out when I need to. Um, yeah. Most of them are seen obviously by Don or my family um, until it's time that someone else needs to see them. Um, it's hard sometimes not to have a pity party uh, just for yeah. all the things. Sometimes that you, you need through. that. Um, so you take a minute and you, you get through it. Um, but one thing that I would take my illnesses and whatever life throws at me 10 times over than my kids having anything to, to deal with any of this kind of pain or 
stuff that I have, have gone through. Um, so, so your illnesses actually inspire you to keep, keep trudging and keep fighting to, to protect the children, your children, others, others, children, you know, the region's children from experiencing what you are experiencing. Yeah. I mean, now, yeah, probably. I mean, you can't cure what I have. So I basically, the symptoms are treated and I just have to live each day as I can. Um, but now that COVID has hit, um, I am angry. I am (laughs) more angry than I've ever been because, you know, what really makes me angry is this whole debate on the whole mask situation. And Mm. Dawn and I have spent almost eight years trying to protect our kids and other people's kids. And you can't put a mask on to protect Mm -hmm. kids, other other people. I mean, we've given our life for this, for something very similar to COVID. You can't see it. You don't know when you're going to get it. You don't know what your outcome is going to be. But we know it's dangerous. And it's burning. It's It's an invisible enemy, right? And it's just so very frustrating for me right now. And I know for Donna as well, because, you know, we're both very savvy on doing the right thing with this whole COVID thing because we have illnesses in our family, but um, everybody else is living their life just fine. You know, I shouldn't say everyone. You watch a lot of people that are still going out doing family events and going to parties and going to the lake and going on vacation Mm. and you're doing all these things. And I can't even have my grandkids in my house. So that is really creating a lot of resentment it's making me angry. It's, it's pushing me to the point where I so bad want to say, screw it. I'm going to have my kids over. I don't even care, but I know I can't. Um, yeah. A friend of mine, she has grandchildren also says she's close to your age and she's like, I've not, I've not held them since March. Nope. You know? Um, and, and that's hard, right? I mean, it's hard when you, when the people that you love, but they're not living actually in your house, right? right. I mean, if your grandchildren were in your house from March, right. you'd be, they'd be hugging, all that kind of stuff. But because they're someplace else and you can't have them, you can't hold them like you would, like we did pre-COVID. Right. And then yeah. you're fighting for all these people out there and they and they can't wear a mask to respect you, right. to respect your kids. And it is. It's- and that... And that's a slap in the face. It is. Because and, and we it's like, should what, be about my, what about my rights? Everybody wants to be so quick to judge and to say, well, if you're sick or you don't like it, stay home. Well, how about you stay home and let the sick people go out? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And there's a lot of sick people. That's the thing is that people that have been exposed to this waste are the sensitive individuals. And it's like, you know, if it, if it weren't for this waste – Many people maybe could be the ones that loosen up restrictions a little, but because they were exposed, because their government let them be, now they have to really worry and crack down on this. And then there's the other part where it is, we know what it's like. You know, you had talked about the emergency plan. We know what it's mm-hmm. right like to read something so scary and to have a hard time processing it and be like, is this really as bad as it seems, you know, is it made up? Is it, you know, 
And mm-hmm. is this a Hollywood script? Well, I mean, I that's know. the truth. There's a lot of ignorance about yeah, around ignorance. multiple issues that we're talking right. here. So, and yes, you know, there are things in this world that are truly that scary and really can hurt you that you can't see that you have to be afraid of. And going back to the mask issue, what Karen was saying, you know, the people that grew up in North County, like Karen. My God, if they could go back in time and, and and somebody were to say, hey, if you wear this magic belt, if you wear this magic face mask, yeah. you could avoid all exposure and all the harm that it's caused. You'd do it in a heartbeat, right? You would. Yeah. Something yeah. so simple as that could be what it was to alleviate fast forward looking decades to where we are now, all the pain and the suffering we see. Generations of suffering, That's right. right. And it's like, you you don't know how lucky you are to have something that, where if you just put a mask on, your chances are so much less. I mean, you're a cancer survivor. You know that, you know, where's the magic pill that prevents it? I'll take it, you know, to, to go, to unless, you yeah. know, going through what you had to go through. And I think that's, it, it's very frustrating. And we get yeah. asked that a lot because we are public figures kind of now you're mm-hmm. actually movie stars we get kind of put in that? the middle of this debate of sh- yeah. should i or should i not wear a mask and we're saying listen anything you can do to lessen your chances it's like that with the exposure it's to almost like you live in north county by the landfill you should be wearing a mask every Period. day that's right regardless yeah. of covid anything. so you, to, like one aspect of your body doesn't inhale the particulates that's the word in the air Right. I mean, it's like, I mean, I was when I was watching the I rewatched the movie yesterday and I was uh, the scenes of the helicopter flyovers and you see the workers at the landfill. Mm. And I'm like, they don't even look like they're in. Ha- they don't even look that like they're in like the proper gear to be working on that landfill. And then I know you mentioned before we started the episode about you heard that an operating engineer has just been diagnosed with melanoma, somebody who had worked on. The landfill or the I think Weldon or another radioactive site. Or I was I was trying to find out if he had because if so, there's a program. Right. So like in you know the we have another area in St. Louis. um, Of those Mm -hmm. of our listeners who are googling it now, but there's an area called Weldon Springs, another munitions plant, another radioactive site. Blah blah blah. There was also a, a city. Was this Weldon Springs? No, where Times the- Peach. Times Peach. Oh is, yes. Uh, but Weldon Springs, yeah. they decided that they would just cover it with concrete. Yeah. It's like yes, however many acres, and there's this big dome that's now a, a park that they people can like go to the top. I would never walk on top of that thing. But you know who put the concrete there, right? But workers again, going back to our St. Louis. Uh, our patriotic, this is my job, this is what I'm doing. And we just, we just sort of march to this. Yeah. Yes. If you ask me to, to give of my I'm body and my question. life, I'm yeah. going to. That's where Karen and, and I are and stuck now, though, you know, because we've taken on the landfill, but now that we have a decision to remove some of this waste, we've also taken on the care of the workers. So our behind yeah. the scenes mm. now has changed to, what are you going to do to protect these workers? And what it comes who down, are going to remove the right. stuff? And right? what it comes down and then where to, does it go? That's right. What it comes yeah. down to is there are areas of this landfill that they are not going to be able to dig in because it is unsafe for workers, and it is unsafe for the community to dig in that area. And that is something that Karen and I really. It's hard to imagine a problem that has been allowed to get so big that there's not a really 
perfect solution, right? But there's a better solution. And so that is that is where we are, is we are working to make sure that they can remove as much of it as they can, as safely as they can, knowing that perfection at this site is just not possible. And that's, nor any site. So, yeah, nor any site. So, yeah. Let, so what we did have uh, two years ago, one year ago, the EPA came down and said that they had agreed that they're going to remove the what they can from the landfill. Yeah, about 60%. So um, is that the remediation? Is that what Mm -hmm. that's called? Okay. So they're going to take this radioactive soil waste and they're going to take it someplace else in our country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Right. They're going to take the problem from the St. Louis region. And bury it elsewhere. And take it someplace else. And we don't really know where that someplace else is. We do have two sites. There are... um, These are government-run facilities. I don't know if that makes you feel better or worse. (laughs) We're we're drinking drinking Dead Canyon Ranch wine. It doesn't really matter tonight. Yeah, um, They are licensed facilities, and they are not around communities. But but now, they're not around communities right now. You know, and that is... How do they... Yeah, that is a responsibility that we have to take on. How do they transport the waste? Is it by truck? Is it by train? Rail. And rail? So, you know, I know I live in a neighborhood that we were concerned with all the coal trains. I mean, like mm. like if, if, if anything derails um, with the coal, uh, the fuel, the like the empty fuel, uh, whatever it's called, I don't remember, we would be, I would be the dead canisters. if it, it derailed. Yeah. I, yeah, I would, I would be dead. And, and so we had people, you know, we're just like, could you, could you just go slower in our neighborhood so that you, but they just, they just fly through. We won the battle with that. On the rail. We did win a battle rail with that the because waste. The, you did? The, okay. the canisters that this is stored in, once it gets to the site, are dropped from airplanes. They are tested. They are solid. But the problem is, is that a lot of times at other sites, they are not, when they're being transported, they are not in their final, they call it a sarcophagus. They're not in their final sealed container. And we have fought and have won. They are going to actually seal it in those containers on site before they go on rail. At the landfill. And that was a huge battle. We had to pitch a fit like you wouldn't believe because we are moms and we have to look at the point of view of other moms. You know, where is this going? And the reality of this for our future, which really, we know this, we've accepted it, but it's hard, is that we will never be away from this. Because once it goes to there, even though it's in this this wonderfully tested sarcophagus, like hell. I mean, we're going to be asking mm-hmm. for groundwater reports. We're going to be monitoring that site. Mm-hmm. It's going to have a serial code on it so that you can look up the container and make sure it's not leaking. I mean, that is what our life looks like. Once our once it's gone from our community, we then have the responsibility to watch it wherever it goes. You know, and that have so, they started? Have they started the excavation yet? No, no. Is it did COVID stop it, or has it a little bit? Locking in the safety plan is the big thing. The worker safety plan we will not budge on, and you know mm-hmm. what it may come down to in this, and we know this is that. That sixty percent number that they have can that they have they want to remove, that might go down and it might go up. You know, they you we have to be flexible 
when it comes to understanding that human beings are going to be removing this waste. Human beings Much with like families. In, in, the, in the Chernobyl documentary, I don't the know if you are the Chernobyl, when the, yeah. the, the miners, but when the guys, 90 seconds, at the, at the, had to like move the, 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 um, yeah. the material off the roof and, and they, they conscripted people. Yes. To bring him up to the top to move that the um it started with a G I don't remember like to push it off the roof and they had ninety seconds, and all of these people and that's one of the, a powerful thing about that that miniseries was all of these Russian residents and citizens who gave of their lives to prevent the devastation across Europe, right? If had they not done it. We would like Germany, France, all of them would look so different than they are today. So I guess on this on a similar mm-hmm. frame of uh, I'm searching for words the wine, but like a similar train of thought is our workers who are going to be doing that and removing the waste from the Bridgeton landfill and the Westlake landfill. We have to honor their sacrifice too. Right. right. And if it's done right, you know, if they are allowed to wear the gear that they need, they will be okay. But it's when corners are cut. It's when dosimeters, mm-hmm. you saw that kind of a little bit. Yep. And that is where we... Um, when Bill Gates wants to make a little bit more money this year than he made last right. year. Right. And and we will not budge on that. There, there will not be a shovel Good. sunk into that ground unless we are... 100% convinced that they can do it and, and absolutely protect our workers. We view our workers that come into this community as part of our community. Even if they don't live here, they are here to work during the day. They are cleaning up this mess. They have, they are officially members of They're our community. They're there to save lives. That's right. And, right. and that needs to be honored. You know? Absolutely. And they need to be respected yeah. and they need to get the top pay, the hazard pay. And they also need to have absolute protections and the ability to do what they did at Weldon. Weldon had a a worker safety plan where if at any time any worker felt unsafe, they could call it and the entire site was shut down. You know, there was no repercussion and they actually finished faster on that site because, you know, the workers were much more protected. There was, you know, there were, I don't think that there were any incidents that occurred on that site because of that, you know, and I, that's kind Mm -hmm. of the level that we're looking at at ours. Uh You know, I think about um, the layers of impact here, you know, you've got, you've got this generational illness, right. That's, that's now uh, a problem for tens upon tens of thousands of people. Uh, but we also have this greater concern of if this thing, you know, actually blows up, blows up, right? Exactly. My my question is, you know, there's clearly been a lack of transparency around this whole conversation, and thanks to the work that you're doing, more is be more people are becoming aware of it. However, you've had to really fight for each layer of truth to come out and be exposed. So, you know, I know there's an emergency evacuation plan if things get really dangerous, like, you know, we should talk about that for a second. Like, you know, who needs to know about this emergency evacuation plan? You know, what should that look like? But I'm not so sure that we're actually going to find out 
because there's <laughs> been such a resistance of sharing right. this information. And what what is being done there to make sure that there is some transparency on this? So one of the things you could kind of go back. We have a YouTube channel. We have a Facebook page. We have had a couple of well fires at this site um, since that have actually is your is, uh, what, is your Facebook page just Mom's yeah, STL, just Mom's or, STL or Westlake okay. Landfill. We have had a couple okay. instances where this fire has actually burned to the surface and okay. and kind of came out of a well and it was it looked like a you remember the w- during the Gulf War when the oil wells were on fire that's what it looked yeah. like yeah. and out of control they were. So when everybody's running away, we we're running towards to catch that on video because nobody other than that, nobody knows it's going on. So, you know, we were contacting the press, contacting elected officials um, and community members. And, you know, because it's like it's like the whole if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it make a sound? That's kind of the issue with the landfill. You know, if there if something happens at the landfill and it's not reported, how long does it go? Well, the fire went two years. Exactly. Like you so, said. I mean, yeah. so that's kind of the constant anxiety that we live with is just making sure that no matter what happens, um, there are the proper eyes on it. And we rely on our local fire protection district, Pattonville. Um, they're right down the street. We've got cell phone numbers and we're constantly just a call away from them. And, you know, so we've kind of taken they, it upon ourselves. They must be completely. They must be like not so excited about having oh. a radioactive fire. I mean, if they've watched if they've watched Chernobyl, the documentary or the series, and what happened to those those f- first responders, I mean, they lost their the lives. The most heartbreaking thing when we had that fire and Karen radiation. and I were live streaming this outside of the landfill, watching the firefighters try and put this out, and they just could not because it was a gas well fire. Um, as, as you know, you're watching a live stream. You can see at the top who's joining. My heart broke mm. because we know that's Pattonville and Robertson responding, and I can see their wives. We know, uh-huh. we know the names of them, and I can see one by one as the wives start getting on Are watching and watching. It. And, you know, we're just, you know, they kept coming to the fence. They're like, we can't put it out. This is a gas fire. We can't put it out. You know, we're, we're yelling back, where's the dirt? There's supposed to be a pile of dirt. And- you know, the, the fire chief's like, I don't see the pile of dirt. Where's the pile of dirt? And you can see oh congressional God. officials on this live stream. But I, I know that the wives are on. I can see them. And they're hearing this back and forth conversation, you know. And I'm like, well, pull back. If you're not getting the fire out, pull back. And it was just kind of pandemonium playing out live. And, and my heart just broke for them because, you know, they get that call. They know their husband or their loved ones there. And they're like, oh, God. Are they coming home? You know, it's like the like Chernobyl right. thing. Like they're or, watching, right? Or or in five years, ten years, am I now going to? Ha- is my my mm-hmm. husband going to have bladder cancer because he was at that? Well, fire that's one that of the day. reasons why we were there going live too. Karen and I talked about it, and we're like, they can't deny that these firefighters were standing right there. There was nobody mm-hmm. checking the air, and they yeah, this happened, and this is the duration of time, and you can actually see which units responded. There is documentation of that. Yeah. So people can find you on Facebook at Just Moms STL. And what was the other one? Westlake Landfill Westlake STL? Landfill on Facebook. There's a YouTube channel. You have a YouTube channel. Is it the same name? Yes. YouTube channel. It has all of our um, meetings that we've held. 
So they're all, everything okay. we do is recorded. Uh, we have Twitter, Just Moms STL. Okay. Okay. And so what are you, you said you're working on the, the workers and, and you also said that they said they're going to put a barrier in, but I mean, there's, no there's not been anything in the news. There will be no barrier. Since... There will be no barrier. Really? No. How do you? They can't how do you find the oh, that's right. line. Sorry. There is no place to Sorry. put a barrier and to sink a hole. Oh, that's right. You could cause another fire. That was, that was my misspeak no, there. Yeah. I apologize. No, okay. It was a, we the wish. 60%. That, <laughs> that was a good, yeah. good thing to bring up, though. That there won't be a barrier that between was the, the promise. fire. We wasted a lot of time on this mythical barrier that they were mm-hmm. promising us yeah. that when they really looked into the engineering, turned out they couldn't do it safely. And all that time they could have been removing this radioactive waste. That's the goal. The goal right. is that That's so we don't ever have to put an emergency plan in place because we remove the waste that's in the path. And, you know, that eliminates the catastrophic event that's talked about in that emergency plan. So we're and where is that emergency going, plan? But at the same time, you have to do it safely. So it's. You can find, I, you can find the emergency plan on. We also have a website. It's justmomsstl.org. Okay. You can find it on there as well. Okay, good. So really, I mean, you know, when people come together, they work together. You know, this could have been taken care of five years ago mm-hmm. or it could started five years ago. And so we need to like try to um, recognize that we're all, we're all in this together. Yeah. You know, if the St. Louis region is decimated by a Chernobyl event, that's going to affect the states around us. That's going to affect Washington, D.C. It's going to affect California. It's going to affect everybody. And we're in this together because we don't we don't need to lose a life because because people are just like, well, maybe mm-hmm. maybe that if we just they just won't know about it. We don't I, need to lose any more lives I don't over this. I want to report a fire for two years. <laughs> two years. I know. Yeah. I mean, they probably could have put it out if they would have reported it earlier. That's the saddest thing is it's the coulda, woulda, shouldas. You know, if the government just would have cleaned it up as soon as they realized it was illegally dumped, if the fire would have been reported, there's a lot of um, going back and looking at the mistakes that were made. And just the, the fact that I think it was so scary that nobody wanted to look at it and say, okay, this is really happening and this is dangerous. We have to move I think we so much time has been wasted in different areas and we're now facing it as a region. And that's the lesson, you know, is that sometimes things truly well, are very scary and they happen and it's real and you can't bury your head. You really do have to come together well, and look right at it and find a solution. Fire aside, just remember that Westlake Landfill has been a super, super fun site since the early 90s. So mm-hmm. even without the fire, this radioactive waste has and still does, sits on the surface. And yeah. for oh all of God. these years, we have let this these materials um, come and go, so to speak, um, for many, many years. You know, the, the government has been so careless and reckless with this particular material. Man, uh, Manhattan Project Waste Material very, very dangerous. And they have let this material sit out in places that blew all over, that leaked into water, that has been subjected to fire, that, you know, it, it, the amount of irresponsibility, you know, 
and the amount of effort it takes to get someone to do something is, is, it's tremendous. It's mind boggling. It's It's mind boggling. Well, I think they never considered that they would have just mom's STL to deal with. And they just never considered that Don Chapman and Karen Nickel would be on the case and advocating. And I want to say on behalf, and I I feel like, I feel like we can speak on behalf of the entire region. An utter thank you for being our voices and for going to DC and for, and for staying there to do the fight for us. Committing your lives to this. Because you've made me a better resident because I know now and I can speak, I can, I can share, I can talk. And, and I, I just thank you guys. And I'm 10 miles away, but thank you. Well, that means, thank you. That thank means you. A lot thank to you. Us because for so many years, um, and it still happens, but it's better. And it's not, it's not that it's anyone's fault, but for the longest time, people would constantly say to us, oh, thank you for everything you're doing. You guys are doing a great mm-hmm. job. Keep it up. And then turn around and walk right. away. And it seems superficial, right? And it's like, okay, wait a minute. We didn't want to do this. We could use your help. <laughs> and by mm-hmm. help is just exactly what you just said. By saying that I'm a better resident or I feel I have to do, you know, I have to educate my neighbor or I have to, those things, those things are what means the most to us. We work so, so, so hard. You know, Dawn and I had no clue how to do social media when we started this. Um, we're now now you're giving now, like like seminars on it, right? Master classes on you on in the internet. We are it, now right? writing grants <laughs> because we need funding. We need money. Yeah, we need yeah. donations. You know, it, it takes money to do the things we do, to go on these trips, to print material, to research, to print documents. I mean, it it, it takes money to do these things and. Now we have found ourselves writing grants. <laughs> well, yeah. I know, I know, I can, I, I can say this. When we, uh, you know, for our listeners, if you'll go to our clearly speaking uh, Facebook page, we'll have a, we have a link there to um, Just Bombs STL, and uh, you know, if you would like to donate to them through Facebook, you can. You can provide find link, services of uh, any kind. You can do. Uh, and, uh, you know, f- please, uh, we will provide all the links to uh, mm-hmm. enable that to happen through our, we really our social media. Yeah, and we appreciate um, you guys you know having what? No, us on. The, yeah. <laughs> shows like this that that meet people in their living room, your listeners and whatnot, that's, that's how we grew and how we were able to put pressure. That's how we got it done. It wasn't the big. It was the smaller shows that people listened to that really just gave us time to tell our story. And then the followers helped and we just kind of grew that army little by little. So anytime we can do this and people invite us on like this, this is, this is what helps us apply the pressure and get, and get. And just so you guys know on, on Wednesday, Don and I did a, um, it's called, what's it called Don leaders, leadership living rooms. I don't know. Something, um, something with Lois Gibbs. It's on our, um, it's on our Facebook page. There's uh, an invite if you guys get a chance to check it out or want to share it or whatever, okay. oh, um, yeah, yeah, they're going to do a series um, just kind of talking to leaders and different people. Um, yeah. And Don and I are the first ones on there. So 
it's kind nice. of exciting. Wow. You guys, the audience has a chance wonderful. to actually get on yeah. and talk and ask questions and give their point of view yeah. as residents living around it. So, isn't it cool? You know, I think about when the both of you were talking about how amazing it is that you have the honor of working with Lois Gibbs, and now people feel the same way about the both of you. Oh. <laughs> that has to say a lot about the work you're doing. Yeah, we don't, I don't even think, realize that. I don't think we even recognize that. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean. We don't ever have time to sit back. And one of the things that Lois did teach us that we're still not real great at, but she told us that anytime we do any type of presentation or anything, we should always have our goals, or not our goals, mm-hmm. our accomplishments listed behind us. Um, it's pages and pages now, but um, yeah, because that keeps us, you know, fresh and remembering, oh my God, we did that, you know, or we did that and we don't do that enough. <laughs> well, that's typical of women. I was going to say that's a woman time. problem. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 typical of women. Yeah, but you know, I I really appreciate. I know Emily. I really appreciate you guys coming oh on the gosh, show tonight so much and uh, sharing with us. And I I want to I want to drink with you. <laughs> I want to have some of your wine. <laughs> Um, yes, you want some of our Dead Canyon Ranch? It's so good. <laughs> uh, but I also, I also would like for we'd like for you guys to come Absolutely. back because I know until the fucking dirt is somewhere else, we have an issue. Until that fire is out, we have an we issue. Do. And people can reach you by emailing you at westlakemoms at gmail dot com. Yes. And, um, you know, these are two amazing women oh. that we are again so blessed to have on our show. Mm-hmm. And um, if you listeners are in an area that you think you might have something going on. You got on, some funny smells going on I at think, the landfill uh, near you. Reach out to Dawn yeah. and Karen. They can get you hooked up. Um, they know they've been there. Uh, they know uh, they still are. And thank you. Thank you for advocating for all of St. Louis. Thanks. Thank you. Guys. Yeah. Um, thank you so, so much. much. And so here's, cheers, cheers to you. To you cheers to you guys as well. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>